Uh, we get the privilege of spending time in God's Word together. And so if you don't have a Bible, um, then if you would uh, raise your hand and we will bring a Bible to you. Uh, we love to be in God's Word, and it's also good to make sure the pastor's on track and uh, that he's preaching God's Word to you. So um, we, uh, it's a bit of accountability, too. So if you do not have a Bible, please raise your hand, and uh, Bob will bring a Bible to you. Amen. Hey, somebody took that whole accountability thing straight. They just, man, their hand went up. We're, we're going to watch that. It's a good time to do that. As we, uh, as we look at, I want you, first passage I want you to look at is uh, Luke 17, uh, 5 through 10. Luke 17, 5 through 10. And as you're looking up the passage today, um, I, I want to spend some time thinking about our Christian walk as believers. Um, I think that the world we live in, uh, the modern culture that we live in, uh, we view faith uh, mainly through the lens, or at least we're drawn to try to look at faith through the lens of, uh, of how it benefits our lives, the blessings from God's and how they benefit our lives. I think that there is in our, in our culture a kind of a psychosis of materialism that teaches um, we, must, we have to be happy. And so um, it, it can permeate in our Christian walk kind of an attitude of, well, it's really God's job to uh, make sure that he gives us what we need and he owes us a great life. I think somebody wrote a book once says, your best life now. And, um, and so uh, as we think about... Um, uh, about our Christian walk, I really want to drive home the idea that it is, a, it is the faith of gratitude that drives a heart um, uh, uh, to serve God, a heart that realizes their life is not their own, they've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that, um, and that in this new transformed life, everything that I do is, is out of gratitude for Him and to give Him glory and praise and it has nothing to do about me. And, uh, and so the passage from Luke kind of sets us up. So um, uh, the Lord is with their disciples, and, um, and they're talking, he's talking about sin, and he's talking about where he's come from. And, and so the disciples just get to this point in verse 5 where they, where they just blurt out and they say uh, to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. He says this, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry bush, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, the point isn't the fact that I can move a bush from the ground uh, to, uh, to the sea, or in another place he talks about a mountain. You could say to a mountain, go into the sea, and it will obey you. That's not the point. I, I, I hope out of this message you don't go over to... Um, um, to a mountain and say, now go in the sea, and then wait to see if it happens, and then say, well, God, your word's not true. The whole point is the fact that, that even in small faith in Jesus Christ, he can do great things in and through your life, that it's not based on you because faith is a free gift from God. It is not something you earned or deserved. It is something that he gives to all who will follow him. And then he says this, which is really the foundation of this message. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. 
Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, now come along now and sit down and eat to the servant? Won't he rather say, now prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he, think the, will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now there is nothing impressive about this message in regards to materialism and into the world that we live in. It's so good. If, if you let these words come in, you, your heart will be kind of scraped against because there is nothing impressive about these words at all. We are unworthy servants. We have only done what we were told to do. Only our duty. My question is this. How does a person come to a place of this kind of humble heart that they can hear these words and that their hearts can be energized by the fact that it has nothing to do with me my life is absolutely Jesus' to do with what he wants. In this world of, of religion prosperity, prosperity Christianity, we have forgotten that the foundation to faith is the attitude of Christ from Philippians 2 that says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be used for his own advantage. There it is. This faith is not for your own advantage. It's for the advancement of the gospel. It's for the glory of God. The, the reason why before the foundations of the earth were created, you were called, was because the Lord wants your life to give glory to him. In everything you do and say, that you reflect him to the world. And Prosperity Christian said, no, 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 no. This is a personal relationship. This is just for me. And it's a lie. For we have to, we have to follow the example of our true hero. See, in Prosperity Christianity, it's this. If, if, if someone is poor and they through effort, become rich. We see them as our hero. But in Christianity, it's completely the opposite. It's somebody who is rich becoming poor that is our hero because that's what Jesus Christ did. For Paul said it this way, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. You believe that? That is our hero. That is the one we look to. And he's our example. Because our lives also too should be lives that are being poured out for the glory of God. Now, I am not suggesting that every one of us go and sell all that we have, our homes and everything, so that we can gain financial poor status. That would be the wrong interpretation of this message but that we gain an attitude, as Paul calls it, of being broken bread and poured out wine. 
that we gain an attitude of what Jesus was saying is, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That we gain a humble heart before God, knowing that in of ourselves we have nothing but, every, but everything in him. Everything in him. And that when we hear the words from, from um, Ephesians 2.10 that says you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And these things he has prepared in advance for you that you understand that it has nothing to do with you because you weren't born. When he prepared the life that he had for you, you weren't even born. And he knew it. And he thought it. He thought about you before you were even a thought in your parents' eyes. And that the only way that we can do this is by placing ourselves in the place where he gets to do what he wants. In John 12, 25 through 26, that anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And listen to this. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. To place your life in a place where he becomes the one who can dictate where it goes. The gratitude of faith moved us into a life of service only because we realized that the gospel of Jesus Christ has opened our hearts up to real life. Prosperity Christianity keeps your eyes looking at yourself and what you can gain. True Christianity keeps your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. And you walk forward. You walk out of being a gospel dispenser, or you walk Walk into being a gospel dispenser and not a gospel consumer. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, so we're called. We're called to also give our life to the one who gave it to us. There's two things I'm hoping we can do with our time today. First is I want to give you an Old Testament picture of what this looks like because I think it's important for us to see somebody who walked through this. Second is um, I hope that you're encouraged and you'll hear encouraging words from the Lord in your own life. Um, We have been trained to be self-focused. We have been trained to take care of ourselves. We have been trained to make sure that our security in this earth is, uh, is taken care of. And yet I think that God is calling for people to be abandoned to the Lord, to live in a way that our lives become poured out before him. And not that we don't care about the future, but we just know who is the one that is carrying over our future. And it's so important. If you remember, uh, one, of the, one of the soils um, that um, heard the gospel and became and, and, and started to live it out was the soil of the thorns. But the cares of this world so overcame them that the life of the gospel was squeezed out of them. Don't let that happen today. And so, from this passage, 
as, um, uh, as common as it is, I want to take you to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is, is um, squeezed and sandwiched between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. So go with me there, the first chapter. The book of Ruth. We're going to be focusing on three verses, and so, but the contextual buildup to this passage is the fact that, um, that the Moabite people, whose Ruth was a part of, um, were descendants of, of Lot, the nephew of Abraham. And after Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, uh, Lot was left as a widower uh, because his wife didn't want to leave her past, and so she looked behind and became a pillar of salt. His daughters devised a plan uh, because there were no men in the area. They devised a plan of incest so that their line could go on. And each uh, daughter became pregnant out of that act of incest. And out of that became two nations of people. One were the Moabites and the other were the Ammonites. Both enemies of Israel to the point of their extinction. They were against Israel. That might uh, connect with uh, things that are going on today. I don't know if you read the news, but uh, there's a lot of hatred against uh, God's chosen people, us and Israel. Now, moving to this book and moving to the contextual of, of actually the passage, uh, we come into a time where a famine had broken out in, uh, in Israel and Bethlehem, uh, Elimelech and his wife Naomi uh, decided that they would take their two sons, um, Mahalan and Lailan, and to seek uh, refuge in Moab. Uh, during these times, their two sons married two Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth, thus the name of the book. All three men died and left the women uh, as widows. As we approach our focus on the passage today, Naomi had heard that the Lord had provided food for the people back in Bethlehem, and so she decided to go back. And so she was encouraging her daughter-in-laws to stay in Moab and to find new husbands. Orpah agreed, but Ruth would not leave her mother-in-law. And this is where our passage comes in. Let's read, starting at the 16th verse. It says this, But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. There you will die, and I will die, and there be, will be buried. May death separate you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. There's five interesting points uh, that come out of Ruth and Naomi's interaction that give us a picture of what the gratitude of true faith looks like in the face of impossible odds. Now, I do need to address a controversy that comes out of this passage that many um, have talked about, and that is the controversy of the fact that God, when the Israelites moved into Israel, specifically told the Israelites not to intermarry into any of the nations that they were about ready to drive out. And uh, now Moab and, um, uh, uh, was outside of uh, Canaan, 
but it still was the fact that they were people of unbelief. Even though they came from Lot, even though they knew the Lord, they had turned to idolatry. And so, um, and so it is, it's interesting when you think about the controversy around this and that we serve a God who can move in ways that even sometimes alarm us. And we go, okay, what's going on here? So what was the reason why God said not to intermarry with any of the people in the land? Can anybody tell me? Yes. Yeah, because, they, because the, the women or the men would lead them to serve other gods, the gods they were serving. It's an important point. Because there, are, there has been uh, in the past, and even today, there are people that say, um, you know, well, this means uh, intermarrying in cultures also. And, um, and they have used that as a basis for uh, not marrying um, even out of our own race. And, uh, and that is not true because um, that is not what God's point is. point is he doesn't want people to be turned away in idolatry. And so that's a very important um, and so I hope that you understand that. But this is, this is some of the controversies that's around this, this uh, book. And it's interesting, I think, uh, and fascinating. So let's just look at these quickly. Um, in verse 16, it says, she first statement that she says is, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back. The faith of gratitude refuses to go back to the old identity. Refuses to go back to who I was. As a believer, I will no longer return to that. As we think about Ruth's life, there's, there's a couple things that come to my mind. First of all, being a, Moab, uh, a Moabite uh, from Moab, um, they, um, we have to realize that they worship the false god Chemish. Now, the greatest at attribute about Chemish is that he was a god that required children sacrifice to satisfy his anger toward the people. I did some quick calculation, and I figured out that in America today, that a child born on our borders has a 17 chance, 17% 17 chance of being aborted. That is our modern-day sacrifice to false gods. In Ruth's day, it was higher for, for, for a reason of appeasing the God. And so it actually was part of their worship uh, that they did. Today... It's not to appease a God, but it is, the, it is just to appease our own inconvenience and, uh, and getting in the way of our plans of our life. And so she grew up, think about it, she grew up in a fearful and angry and abusive nation. I remember one pastor who um, was talking about the fact that there's been a lot of people who have accused God of atrocities when the Israelites came into uh, Canaan. And he said, you know, when you go in and you, and, you, um, um, and you conquer a nation, I want you to kill the men, the women, the children, the animals, everything. And some people have said that, that, that God is unjust to that. And I heard a pastor once say, which I was like, whoa, that makes me think. He said, do you think it would be better for a child to grow up into a family that was uh, worshiping a false god and was living out that abuse? Or was it more merciful to, for God to take that child at a young age? just think it's something interesting to, to contemplate. Um, just interesting. And so... 
That's the first thing, the old identity where she came out of. But there's a greater reason. Matthew 13 says these words, the 44th through the 46th, chapter 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearl. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. That is the heart of a believer. When you've come to the place where you realize that Jesus Christ is the greatest thing, the greatest one you ever know, and that the gift that you've been given on the cross you did not deserve or earn, and that, and that it is a, the most amazing thing you know, what wouldn't you sell? What wouldn't you do? What wouldn't you lay down for him? Wouldn't it ever become an option? Wouldn't it ever become just a nice idea? There was a song some time, some time ago that, that said, um, um, oh, I'm going to, that's, that, that, um, I'll say it this way. When did love ever become passionless? When, when, when did love ever become at no cost? How is it we've reduced the gospel to a religion that's a great option for my life? Why isn't it all consuming? Everything of my whole entire life And that's what Ruth had. It had consumed her. Don't urge me to leave and go back. Because there's nothing back there for me. I'm dead to it. Even though what was in front of her um, was interesting that what she would be um, facing. Do you know the God that Ruth met? Have you been willing to lay down everything for the treasures hidden in the field and the pearl of great price? Second thing she said, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. The faith of gratitude walks in a whole new direction. You know, one of the most hypocritical things that people observed about Christianity as it really hasn't changed people. Oh, they sit on Sunday morning, but divorce is the same as the world. The owning of things is just as important to people of Christianity as they are as, as the world. Many of us watch the same movies the world does. Many of us act the same way as the world. You see, we forget repentance is a lifestyle. See, she said, I will go where you go and I will stay where you stay. Repentance also is is described as um, about face or to turn both thinking and acting in a brand new direction. It is walking in the opposite direction you were going. Ruth was willing to walk from Moab to Bethlehem with Naomi because her life was a living repentance, a living act 
of I'm turning away from what I had and I'm turning toward what I have been given in Jesus Christ. And so it's completely changed direction. And she was unwavering because she realized there was no life back here. There was only life walking this way. Do you, that makes sense to you? Some of us holding on to things. Because if this Jesus thing don't work out, then I still got my retirement. I still got. In a whole new direction. This is a question that the Lord brought to my mind. What is God calling you to walk away from and into the new direction? Are you resolved to do it or are you hesitating because you're afraid of what you leave behind? I want you to remember Lot's wife. She turned back because she did not want to leave it. And she turned into a pillar of salt. And that's exactly what's going to happen. If you live your life holding on to what you had, when Jesus is saying, will you let everything go for me? He who holds on to his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will gain it. Come on! What are we holding on to? What are we holding on to? Third, she says, your people will be my people and your God my God. Faith of gratitude embraces new fellowship. New fellowship. The Apostle John in 1 John alludes to the fellowship that Ruth had found in Naomi and was resolved not to give up when he said these words in 1 John 1.3. He said, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also what may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the son, His Son, Jesus Christ. You understand, God understands something about Christian fellowship. The world has stolen this word from us, but they cannot have it. Listen, Christian, Christian fellowship is bound by one thing. It's what we hold in common with each other through Jesus Christ. That is where Christian fellowship comes from. It is through the commonality of, of Jesus Christ that we have the identification and the relationship with God. He has restored that relationship to God um, uh, through, his, through the cross. Second, the generosity of the family of God. The generosity of the family of God. The fact that, that as we are one family, uh, there is a gift of generosity that comes, the gift of our hearts, the gift of our service side by side with each other, the gift of our love, the gift of spurring one another on to love and good works. And then the final one is the identification of the suffering of Christ. These elements not only mark us as a family, but become the glue that holds us together. I remember when I was a 15-year-old kid, and I had, um, I had gotten into partying, I was smoking dope and I was drinking with a whole group of people that were involved in that. And uh, I was 15 years old, didn't know who I was, but I looked in the mirror one day and I said, this is not who I am. This is not who I am. 
And so I went to Andy and I said to him, I said, listen, Andy, I, he got me involved in it. And I said, I, I've got to stop this because it's not who I am. I lost every one of those friends. Because, see, the party world is really only out there because you're supporting the wrong they know they're doing. And so you're a benefit to them to stay partying. And so in Christian fellowship, is, there's a, uh, a Greek word called koinonia. And it is, it is, um, uh, it is our faith journey experiencing our, our unity with each other. And uh, they say that since COVID, 30% of the churchgoers have left the church. Some are watching it on TV, but they've left the church. And there's a strange spirit of division over the church today that continues to want to separate us. And maybe some of you know, maybe some of you have gone to church in your life and you got to a point where you were hurt and, you, um, and so you said, you know what, I don't need that. I'm not going to be a part of that. And I'm sorry for that, but... If, in true faith, you find what, what Ruth found, you'll find out that a faith of gratitude embraces true fellowship, true fellowship of the faith. Fourth, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The faith of gratitude's deep commitment, deep commitment, deep commitment to each other. Now, this is interesting because Ruth grew up in a world that taught that the place of burial was vitally important. Um, the Egyptians would embalm their dead, kill servants to put them next uh, to important people, and bury gold and food and other items to make the person who died ready for the afterlife. Ruth's statement was of deep commitment and faith, believing that leaving her home country and staying with Naomi was the, the place she belonged because of her new faith in the God of Israel. She had to walk away from those false truths and walk into the reality that God is the one who's the overcomer of, of death. He's the one that gives life. And that commitment um, is supposed to be found in our lives. Um, Tiffany and Aaron, in a couple weeks, will be standing across from each other in, uh, in their wedding on the 9th of, uh, uh, of December. I'm excited for that day. It'd be good to see him again. Uh, I miss them. Uh, but they're going to say something. You know, they're going to say, unto death do we part. It's a level of commitment. And we are laid down. And so in this picture of kind of marriage here, where you die, I will die. Where, there I will be buried. Is that, is that commitment of the fact that she has come to know a God of unfailing love. Do you know that God? Do you know a God of unfailing love that never gives up, that never gives in, that continues to fight for your heart even when you sit all alone by yourself and say, nobody gets it, nobody understands me. The God of unfailing love sits there and says, I'm here, I love you. Is this your love? Does this kind of commitment lead your life and my life? And then fifth, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. The faith of gratitude's hope for an eternal future. Ruth grew up with a belief in life after 
but very different from faith in Yahweh. She would have to believe um, in another world that would have been a singular focus, focused on herself. But her newfound faith opened up the truth that we're not just saved for ourselves, but collectively. We all believers will spend all of eternity together as family in the kingdom of God, which will rule forever. I like what a pastor once said. He said, um, he said this, if you cannot get along with a family of God, God will grant you that and not let you live in heaven either. If you can't do it on earth, why would you ever want to do it in heaven? I think it's a great challenge. That's a great challenge for all of us. When we feel that spirit of division, we feel that spirit of separation, will we have the hope of eternal future? Not just singular, not just I'm going to heaven, but that we're called together to do it. We're called to be one together. And it is, right, it's the fulfillment of the law. Love God, love each other. It's not just love God and I got it good. It's the fact that our reality works out as a full package. That my love for my wife Sue is an expression of my faith. And my insufficiency there is an expression of my insufficiency of my love for God. Isn't that what one John says in chapter 4? That if you, if you can't love the one that's in front of you, that you can see. How can you love the one you cannot see? I only love God as I love the one I love the least. Let that hit your heart. Because some of us in this room may have some things. I get it. I get it. Somebody abused you. And you're sitting there just going, you pastor, you're telling me to love them? I know you've gone through a divorce. And you're saying, Pastor, you're telling me to love him or her? I know that you have um, not a father in your family. And he's never been a father. You, Pastor, you, yes. What do you think forgiveness is all about? Forgiveness is all about the fact that you go to God and you say, you saw what happened to me. You get it. You're in control. Here's my heart. I forgive that person. Because your forgiveness reigns in my life. What it does is it takes the chains off of your heart and you get to now love. You get to live free because you were willing to go to God and give it to him. Give that person. It doesn't take that person off the hook. It doesn't, it doesn't the fact that if they never come to a place where they ask for forgiveness from God, that they won't have to face the Lord someday, and that he will say to them, I never knew you, get away from me. And they will spend eternity separated from God. That should scare you even to the worst abuser, because there is no place on earth like hell. And I wish that none would ever go there. And so as you think about this, Ruth did go to Bethlehem with Naomi. She served Naomi by gleaning food in the field. She obeyed the authority of Boaz by only gleaning in his field and then humbly submitted to Boaz's authority by laying down under a corner of his covering at night and saying, I'm willing to submit to you as kingsman, redeemer, and as my husband. Now, I didn't go through that, 
but I'm hoping you guys will read the book because it's an amazing book. But the point is this. It changed her life to the place that she no longer saw it as her own, but she saw it as his to do with what she wanted. Listen to me. She walked into a nation that would not naturally accept her because she was a Gentile, and they hated Gentiles, and they were told not to marry Gentiles. She walked into prejudice because her life was changed and transformed. She was no longer a slave in the midst of prejudice. She was free, and God honored that. Not only that, but if you know your Bible, if you know your Bible, she gave a birth to a son, her and Boaz. And they're in the line of Jesus. Faith of gratitude puts you in a place where it totally changes your heart. Don't send me away. I'm going to be exactly where you want me to be. I will, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will be buried. This is real life. This is a life that, that is true life. How does this work out in service? The Bible teaches that God's word never returns void and that the work we do in the name of the Lord is never in vain. And God is faithful to bring about the fruit of the labor. So even if you feel like the slave in, Matthew 7, or in Luke 17, you can still trust him that what you're doing for him is exactly what he called you to do. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. A heart of gratitude realizes that every move you make, in an old secular song it says that, every move you make, What's the next line? Every step you take. What does it say then? I'll be watching you. <laughs> oh, it works out. <laughs> That's free because that wasn't in my notes. But you know, so true. Every move you make, every step you take, I'll be watching you. You know, secular people sometimes get it when they don't even realize they get it. <laughs> and God speaks through us. Through that. But it is just amazing. It's true. In Hebrews 6.10, listen to what it says. God is not unjust, for he will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. That is, isn't that cool? I, anybody in this room ever felt like what they were doing just seemed like a waste of time? Uh, come on. Little, little, come on, a little honesty in church. I have. There's been times I just go, ah. It just seems like a waste of time to me. And yet, he says to us that it is not. God, listen to me. Look at me a minute. God 
has a good work for every single one of you. He thought about it before you were born. And he has it for your life. And it is a heart filled with the faith of gratitude that places you in the place where you get to see the good work that he planned. But it's, it takes the humility of saying this. I'm an unworthy servant. I'm just doing what I've been called to do. That's it. No thanks, no gratitude for me. It's just, it's just doing it. Galatians 5, 13 to 14 says, You, my brother and sister, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I hope you read the rest of the book. Make it your objective to do it uh, this week. Um, and uh, in, in, in the amazing working out. But secondly, I pray that you will walk with Ruth. Following Jesus by engaging the family of God that he placed you in. How it's happening, but there are people that, that God is calling uh, to serve and worship him here. And so we have a growing need. This church was birthed off from taking the gospel in this neighborhood. It started by my directing the doc for nine years and uh, reaching out uh, to students in this community and families. And it has, it, its DNA is built on that. Um, and that's what we're called to do. There is a need for that. There are, do you believe that there are families that are broken and falling to pieces and are? Absolutely. Absolutely. God is calling us to reach out and to share the good news. That's not, that's not taking um, you know, somebody from the lapel and, and shaking saying you need Jesus. It's walking with them and loving them. And coming alongside them and telling them the good news of what Jesus Christ did for you and how he saved you. Secondly, we have a growing need for young people to learn about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, it's our responsibility to help them. Third, we have a growing need uh, to support marriages that are being attacked. You know, Grace and Aaron are I just, you know, they're kind of in the, in the world of like, we're, you know, we're going to get married, or whatever, I won't. But that's great. But how much time are they spending on the fact that we know that there's an enemy that's going to attack us? And preparing for that attack. I was not prepared for that attack. My marriage consisted of a meal and a pastor looking at me and saying, so uh, you two want to get married? Yeah, okay, let's set a date. That was it. That was it. Uh, the rest we kind of had a experience on our own. And uh, you guys that know me, that was tough for Sue. Um, fourth, we have a, uh, a growing need for people uh, with the courage to bring leadership to the table of this family. And finally, we have a growing need for people to come together, study God's word, and encourage each other in love and good works and to open our hearts to each other. I didn't get specific because I'm really asked the Holy Spirit just to speak to your heart. 
Uh, but the question I want to leave you with is, do you have a heart of gratitude for the gospel? And is it driving you to serve the Lord? Because if it's not, don't do it. Stay in your world. Stay caught up in your busyness and all the things. Just stay there. But I'm telling you, if, if you will get the attitude of Luke 17, if you'll just say, I'm an unworthy servant called to only do what you've called me to do, here I am. You remember Isaiah, right? He sees the Lord high and lifted up. He repents of his sin. And then he hears a voice saying, who will go for us? And he said, here am I. Send me. Amen. Amen. 1 Timothy 3.13 does give us a beautiful picture of what serving does, because there is a benefit to it. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. Work out your salvation trembling in fear. It's not just for you. You weren't just saved for yourself. You were saved to be part of the advancing of the kingdom of God, to grow that on this earth, because someday it's going to be the only kingdom that stands. Every other kingdom's going to fall. Every other kingdom's going to fall, yours included. The kingdom of God will stand forever. Do you believe that? Let's stand together in humility. Stand with me. Stand in humility, and let's commit to the Lord out of the gratitude of the gospel that our lives will be a living testimony unto him and that we'll be unworthy servants just doing what he's called us to do before the foundations of the earth. Amen? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just pray uh, that these words have not fall on deaf ears, but that, Father, our hearts are open to it, that, Lord, in humility, uh, we dispense um, the gift of the gospel through uh, the gifts that you have given to us. The things you have, that you have planned for us before the foundations of the earth. That, Father, we be like Ruth. That, Lord, um, we leave behind our old identity. We leave behind our old idolatry. We leave behind those things. And we walk forward with even the commitment unto death that we will follow the Lord. Lord, it is, it is time. We live in a world where um, people have just embraced Christianity as something of their own and for their own benefit, instead of realizing that they have been placed on this earth to be a blessing to others. The blessing of Abraham is our blessing, that, that I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. Lord, there are people all around us in this community. There are people all around us in each individual uh, person here in this world where they work, where they go to school, where they, where they live, where they uh, shop. There are people all around them whose hearts are begging to hear a word of hope. And I pray that, Father, that with, a, with the faith of gratitude, a heart moved by that faith, that, Lord, we will see it and walk into it. Lord, you're good. You've loved us. You've loved us from before the, the beginning of even creation. And your love was seen on the cross. A great price. It is the indescribable gift we've been given. Father, may we live out that indescribable gift by giving it away to others. We love you and we trust you in the name of Jesus. Amen.